Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Chapter 8. The Amateur Fireman. Part 4. Oh, said Bobby, seeing the barge woman and making for her. Your barge cabin's on fire. Go quickly. The woman started to her feet and put a big red hand to her waist on the left side, where your heart seems to be when you are frightened or miserable. Reginald Horace, she cried in a terrible way. More Reginald Horace. All right, said Bobby. If you mean the baby, got him out safe. Dog, too. She had no breath for more except, go on, it's all alight. Then she sank on the alehouse bench and tried to get that breath of relief after running, which people call the second wind, but she felt as though she would never breathe again. Bill the bargee rose slowly and heavily, but his wife was a hundred yards up the road before he quite understood what was the matter. Phyllis, shivering by the canal side, had hardly heard the quick approaching feet before the woman had flung herself on the railing, rolled down the bank, and snatched the baby from her. Don't, said Phyllis reproachfully. I just got him to sleep. Bill came up later, talking in a language with which the children were wholly unfamiliar. He leapt onto the barge and dipped up pails of water. Peter helped him, and they put out the fire. Phyllis, the bargewoman, and the baby, and presently Bobby, too, cuddled together in a heap on the bank. Lord help me, if, if it was me left anything as could catch in light, said the woman again and again. But it wasn't she, it was Bill the bargeman, who had knocked his pipe out and the red ash had fallen on the hearthrug, and smoldered there and at last broken into flame. Though a stern man he was, though a stern man he was just. He did not blame his wife for what was his own fault, as many bargemen and other men too would have done. Mother was half wild with anxiety when at last the three children turned up at three chimneys, all very wet by now, for Peter seemed to have come off on the others. But when she disentangled the truth of what had happened from their mixed and incoherent narrative, she owned that they had done quite right and could not possibly have done otherwise, nor did she put any obstacles in the way of their accepting the cordial invitation with which the bargeman had parted from them. "'You be here at seven tomorrow, he said and I'd take you the entire trip to Farley and back, so I will, and not a penny to pay, nineteen locks. They did not know what locks were, but they were at the bridge at seven, with bread and cheese and half a soda cake, and quite a quarter of a leg of mutton in a basket. It was a glorious day. The old white horse strained at the ropes, the barge glided smoothly and steadily through the still water, the sky was blue overhead, Mr. Bill was as nice as anyone could possibly be. No one would have thought that he could be the same man who had held Peter by the ear. As for Mrs. Bill, she had always been nice, as Bobby said, and so had the baby, and even Spot, who might have bitten them quite badly if he had liked. It was simply ripping, mother, said Peter, when they reached home, very happy, very tired, and very dirty. Right over that glorious aqueduct, and locks, you don't know what they're like. You sink into the ground, and then, when you feel you're never going to stop going down, Two great black gates open slowly, slowly, and you go out, and there you are on the canal just like you were before. I know, said Mother. There are locks on the Thames. Father and I used to go on the river at Marlow before we were married. And the dear darling ducky baby, said Bobby. It let me nurse it for ages and ages. And it was so good, Mother. 
I wish we had a baby to play with. And everybody was so nice to us, said Phyllis. Everybody we met. And they say we may fish whenever we like. And Bill is going to show us the way next time he's in these parts. He says you don't know, really. He said you don't know, said Peter. But, Mother, he said he'd tell all the bargees up and down the canal that we were the real right sort, and they were to treat us like good pals as we were. So then I said, Phyllis interrupted, we'd always each wear a red ribbon when we went fishing by the canal so they'd know it was us, and we were the real right sort, and be nice to us. So you've made another lot of friends, said Mother, first the railway, and then the canal. Oh, yes, said Bobby. I think everyone in the world is friends if you can only get them to see you don't want to be unfriends. Perhaps you're right, said Mother, and she sighed. Come, chicks, it's bedtime. Yes, said Phyllis. Oh, dear. And we went up there to talk about what we'd do for Perks's birthday, and we haven't talked a single thing about it. No more we have, said Bobby. But Peter's saved Reginald Horace's life. I think that's about good enough for one evening. Bobby would have saved him if I hadn't knocked her down. Twice I did, said Peter, loyally. So would I, said Phyllis, if I'd known what to do. Yes, said Mother. You've saved a little child's life. I do think that's enough for one evening. Oh, my darlings, thank God you're all safe. Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more waiting for us all at the end of the road.